Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Wednesday, January 19th, 2022. So when you start one of these read-through-the-Bible-in-a-year plans, there, there are certain things you can expect. For instance, you can expect that if you stick to the plan, you will, well, read through the Bible in a year. But you don't always know what every day is going to bring, especially as I've worked to actually map out this plan using some different resources to help us go chronologically through both the Old and New Testaments at the same time. You try to even things out so the amounts of reading uh, each day isn't all over the place. But sometimes you don't realize necessarily the content that you will be going through and you run into some days like today, where there is so much rich content to think about. So all this is to say, buckle your seatbelts, because we've got a lot to get through today. So many, many things that we really need to touch on, because we'll be looking really at the end of the book of Job. We we spent some time now in this book. We want to wrap that all up. But also, as we've been going through the life of Christ, today is really the launch of his public ministry. And so that's going to be critical as well. Let's start in the Old Testament as we look at Job chapters 40 through 42, the end of the story, finally. Now, let's look especially at these first few verses in chapter 40. God is kind of wrapping up his first uh, speech to Job. And it says there, And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once. And I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Um, When you look at that, really you see what was the problem with some of the things Job said. And I think you really see it capsulized there in verse 2 from God's perspective. He's really calling uh, Job a fault finder, that Job in some way is finding fault with God and that he is arguing with God. And again, that's where... Even in this passage today, we will see God commend Job for his response, especially in contrast to his three friends. He really strongly rebukes the three friends and contrasts their response with Job. So there's so much positive in Job's response, even from God's perspective, but still he points out to Job really the the, the contending with God and arguing with God. And we see Job, he's not arguing anymore. When God shows up out of the whirlwind and uh, talks even just about all that he has created, Job says, I'm, I'm going to be quiet now. And then God goes on and he talks about nature and specifically he talks about these creatures. Um, and he, he talks about the behemoth and the Leviathan. And, and that's where you can probably spend the rest of your day going down rabbit holes of what is he talking about? You know, one commentary I saw this morning even said the behemoth is the hippopotamus and the leviathan is the crocodile. Uh, you, you know, and there's all kinds of theories. Some people will even say, you know, that these are maybe were dinosaurs or animals that are now extinct or whatever that may be. Um, well, the point is not identifying the specific species that are talking, that God is talking about here. He is really trying to 
point to the biggest and baddest creatures in creation and basically saying, hey, if you fear these creatures, uh, should you not fear the one who made them? And and that's the point, and that's where maybe if we can't identify the behemoth or leviathan, think there are creatures in this world that you would say, yikes, I don't want to be around. I don't want to be swimming in the water with a great white shark. I don't want to be uh, out exposed when there's a lion on the hunt. And God's just saying, well, what about the one that created those creatures? What about the one that is in control of all of that? Um And that should direct our thoughts and our attentions to God and to his majesty. And that's really what it does with Job. And you see it in verse or chapter 42, where he answers the Lord again and says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. And then he goes on to say, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And that's another way, really, that I think Job's response is exemplary, that even in the the ways he was starting to get off, as soon as God makes that clear to him, he quickly repents. Uh, That's, again, something exemplary about Job that we should model. But really, he gets to ways that we struggle. um, You know, he says, I've uttered what I did not understand. And that's where we have to realize that these are things that we do often. We contend with God. We argue with God. And when we do that, we're really trying to figure out things that are beyond our understanding, or as he says, too wonderful for me. And lots of times now we think of wonderful really as something that's just so good and in almost fairy tale esque. That's not necessarily how we should always think of wonderful. Uh, think of the word wonder, right? It's just, it's beyond, it's too wonderful for me. It's beyond me. It's beyond my understanding. It's beyond my comprehension. And that's where, as we wrap up the book of Job, I want to ask you, what are the ways you argue with God? What are the ways you contend with God? And we need to examine our own lives, our own response to suffering, and honestly evaluate those things. There may be a lot of anger in our lives that if we're being honest— What we're doing is we're finding fault with God. We are looking at what God has done in our circumstances and saying, I don't like it. If I was God, I would do it better. And that's where we need to say, "Mm, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me. Uh, I repent in dust and ashes. How much of our anxiety comes from being unsure that God's actually going to be the good, wise, sovereign God that he is? Uh, That's contending with God. So we have finished the book of Job. Do not ignore the lessons of the book of Job, especially from Job himself, and examine your own heart today. How do you contend with the Almighty? And just a couple minor things. Again, we could spend so much more time talking about these chapters in Job, but notice how Job gets double uh, all his possessions back. And remember, Job had 10 kids. So you look at all these other things and it's like, oh, he had twice as many sheep, twice as many camels. I bet he's going to have twice as many kids. No, he has 10 more kids. And I think there is something to the fact that, well, he never totally lost the first 10. Uh, Yes, they died, but that's not the end of the story. We serve a savior who is the resurrection and 
the life. And so there could have been some strong expectation of Job that he would see those children again. He didn't need double the children, but God did bless him with 10 more. And it says at the end that Job died an old man full of days, and he had lived 140 more years after all of this. And so if you are asking, why are we doing Job in January? Why, like, what happened to Genesis? Well, even just look at the length of his life, 140 years beyond all of this. That means he would have been pretty old when he died. And as we get back into Genesis tomorrow, that age is probably going to start to sound more like kind of the times of Abraham and the times after the flood and back in those patriarchal uh, days that we read about in Genesis when these events happened. So that's it for the book of Job, but may we not forget the lessons that we have learned from the book of Job. Now let's transition into the New Testament, where uh, you won't find many days with this many different passages. So if you're thinking, whoa, this is a little crazy, it won't always be like this, but we're uh, coming into the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. And when you look at the passages in Matthew, Matthew 4, 12 through 17, or Mark, um, Mark 1, 14, and 15, there's some similarities there, just that Jesus begins calling people to repentance. And not only does he call people uh, to repentance, he announces this kingdom that is here. And that's where, again, I want you to note how central the word repentance is to the message of Jesus to the message of John the Baptist, but also notice that this idea of kingdom is important and that really the gospel, even as he uh, encourages people in Mark to repent and believe the gospel, that is connected with a kingdom. Lots of times we just think of the gospel as, you know, hey, there's just something you need to know so you can kind of get your afterlife sorted out. And it's a message that's not a suggestion. It is an announcement because it is coming from a king concerning his kingdom and it comes with a command to repent. Yes, there is good news about this king, and especially as we know, this king who died on the cross for our sins and rose again, but there is a command that comes with that message that we need to repent. We need to turn from our sin. And so notice how prominent that is right here at the beginning of the gospel. This is a king talking about his kingdom, and he is commanding people to repent. And so as we seek to spread the kingdom, we're going to have to tell people about King Jesus, and we're going to have to call them to repent. These will be critical things to the proclamation of the gospel. Now in Luke uh, chapter 4, you see this episode of Jesus at the synagogue, and he quotes there from the book of Isaiah, and you see the kind of reception that he gets when he makes it clear I'm talking about me. And then even when he kind of pulls out his uh, really convi the conviction and starts rebuking the people and even pointing out some historical problems uh, for the Israelite people. When he speaks of the days of Elisha and the days of Elijah and the ministry that was done to, to non-Israelites, uh, you can see they really don't respond well to that. They try to kill Jesus, but he passes through their midst and goes their midst and goes away. And you see that the hostility to Jesus comes very early on. So you can see even Jesus is bringing an, a message. A message. It is a message with authority, and uh, it is a message that will be opposed. You, you see all of those things just there at the outset, there at the beginning 
of the ministry of Jesus. Uh, and we, so we looked at that in Luke 3, 19 and 20, and 4, 14 through 31. The last passage is John 4, 43 through 54. And this tells an account of a miracle that Jesus does remotely. A lot of people are getting into remote work these days. Well, Jesus does a remote healing and he didn't have the internet. He didn't use Zoom for this. He used his power as God in the flesh. But again, having recently taught through the gospel of John, there's one thing that I had never really noticed before uh, going through as I taught it. And just look at this man that comes and talks to Jesus. You know, he is pleading with him to heal his son. And the official asks Jesus to come. And in verse 50, Jesus says, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. It's quite a trek from where Jesus was down to Capernaum, and this man leaves to go all the way home with nothing but the word of Christ as his, um, really as his comfort, right? Nothing to hang on to but the words of Christ. Jesus did not give him a sign here and there to prove that his servant would be healed. He just said, go. Your sir, your son, sorry, not his servant, his son. Go, your son will live. And the man goes. He takes Jesus at his word and goes on his way. That is another good lesson for us. How many times do we really want to make God prove himself when God has given us so many promises, so many commands in scripture that what we need to do is take those at face value, take them at Take God at his word and go on. Go on our way, even though we have nothing but the word of God to hold on to. That is good enough. And the faith of this man was honored. Uh, So that's just a very interesting part of that miracle in John and a lot that we've got through today. The end of the book of Job, the beginning of the ministry of Christ. Hopefully we've learned something from Job. Uh, We we won't argue with God or contend with him. We'll learn to trust him. And like we see there from that example of that miracle, we will learn to take Jesus at his Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.